This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Over the last nine years as a musician, teacher, and online jazz educator, I've had the opportunity to help thousands and thousands and thousands of musicians learn how to play jazz and improve. And over that time, I've been able to witness lots of different kinds of issues that these musicians come across in their journey to becoming a better jazz improviser. And I've noticed common mistakes that many of them make that only hold them back from reaching their true potential and improving quicker. So in today's episode, I'm going to be going over the six most common biggest mistakes I see beginner jazz improvisers make, and even some that I see intermediate and even advanced players make as well. So you might want to check in on yourself, no matter where you are in your journey, to see if any of these fit with you. All right, let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. A big special welcome to those of you who this is your very first time listening to the show. I mean, you are in the absolute right place if, you know, no matter what kind of musician you are, if you're just looking to learn some jazz, if you're someone who's absolutely crazy about jazz and it's your passion and you just want to be better, you're in the right place. And for those of you who listen every single week for years and years on end or months, I appreciate you. So thanks for being here. Like I said in the intro, we're going to be talking about six big mistakes, big mistakes that I see beginner jazz improvisers make. And of course, this doesn't completely exclude intermediate and advanced players because I do see these mistakes also occurring for these players as well. And I want to help you out. I want to make sure that you're not falling prey to these. And I'm, of course, going to give you alternatives so that you can be set up for success and start improving quicker. Now, before we jump into the content, the main content for today, I just want to say that today's episode is sponsored by my LGS Inner Circle membership. The LGS Inner Circle is a place where you get monthly jazz standard studies with etudes and analysis and training videos. Uh, You get all of my courses, practice programs. You get 101 basics courses to help fill in the gaps. You get live monthly jazz Q&As with me. And you also get a really awesome community of like-minded musicians learning and growing together. So if you're interested in checking that out, go to ljsinnercircle.com, see if it is the right fit for you, and then don't wait. Go ahead and sign up, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the inside with us. All right, let's jump right to it, my friends. All right, big mistake number one. Now, this one is a little bit weird, to be honest. Like, the very first one here is a little bit weird, almost like you would think this wouldn't actually really happen, but I can assure you that it it does. It definitely does. So, big mistake number one is they don't listen to enough jazz. They don't listen to enough jazz. 
Now, of course, everybody comes into the jazz world and trying to become a good jazz improviser from different perspectives. Uh, I especially find this true for those who come from the perspective of, hey, I'm a rock player or a pop player or even a classical musician, and I see the value in learning some jazz. Like, there seems to be some cool things going on. I bet if I learned a little bit of jazz, it helped me in the other areas of my musicianship. And they would be 100% correct about that. There's a lot that jazz can offer and bring to the table for any musician at all. But... In that process, they may listen to some jazz. They may, you know, go, okay, I guess probably listen to this or this. Or maybe they just, whatever they're supposed to be learning, they'll listen to some jazz around that. But ultimately, they're not really listening to that much of it. And it could be someone who is maybe a younger player and is in the high school jazz band and they're just in the high school jazz band. And so, you know, maybe they listen to a little bit to get some idea of what tune they're playing, but they don't listen to it a lot. Or, or maybe there's even a more passionate jazz musician who you know, does really like jazz music, but instead of actually listening to the music they want to learn first, they kind of just jump straight to the learning process. Now, that can be problematic. Now, when it comes to learning jazz, really, some of the best practice that you can do is actually just listen to jazz. Because again, let's always remember that, you know, music is a language, jazz is a language, a dialect of the language, you could say, And in order to really get it, to really hear it properly, to start to understand the essence of it, we really just have to listen to it a lot. There's just really no shortcuts there. Of course, listening to jazz can be enjoyable, of course. But when we really are trying to study it, we do have to really immerse ourselves in that language to truly get it. So if you are not listening to a lot of jazz music, instead... Start listening to music, right? Start listening to lots of jazz. Make it a part of a routine for you. If you truly want to learn it, do dig a little bit deeper. And of course, this is where you can Google the heck out of best jazz jazz albums to listen to, best jazz musicians to listen to. You can start asking people in forums for recommendations. Of course, if you're learning particular pieces, you know, this is where like stuff like Spotify or YouTube can be so great, right? If you're trying to learn the jazz standard um, out of nowhere, well, you know, look up out of nowhere in Spotify and immediately you're going to have, you know, tens and tens, if not, you know, a hundred options to listen to that song. So listen to it a lot. And so the more you listen to jazz, the more you're going to get it. And so if you don't have this basic baseline going on, let's correct this by starting to listen to lots of jazz if you do want to improve. Okay, so that's big mistake number one. They don't listen to enough jazz. Big mistake number two. They use scales as plug-and-play tools. Okay, number two, they use scales as plug-and-play tools. Now, I, I want to you know precurse this a little bit and say... Of course, scales are not bad. And in fact, for beginners, scales can be especially helpful. Okay, scales can be especially helpful for beginners because when you're really trying to learn the language, you kind of do need a little bit of spoon feeding, right? And back in episode 229, 229, we talked about how to turn scales into killer jazz solos. We had special guest Brett Pontecorvo on the show. And we do talk about how scales can be so helpful, especially if you're a beginner, to get started. But after that, there are things we need to start doing to make them musical. So when we talk about using scales as plug-and-play tools, we're looking at a jazz standard or a blues or some kind of popular jazz form, and we're going, okay, 
if I just play the major scale here, if I just play the Mixolydian scale here, if I just play the Dorian scale here, if I just play the melodic minor here, well, then I'll be able to improvise. And unfortunately, I mean, while you'll get some of the right notes or some ideas of sounds to play, it's not going to really be musical. And you're at the risk of sounding like you're just playing scales. So there's, of course, lots of things, like I said, we talked about in episode 229 to help us with that. So I would definitely suggest checking out that episode for sure. But instead, what I want you to do with scales is I want you to think of them as pitch collections. They are just a collection of notes that you can play. But then after that, once you've identified those notes that you can play over chord progressions and jazz standards, I want you to start implementing melodic ideas. Think about composing melodies and using those note choices as simply a bucket of ideas, a bucket of notes, a collection of whatever to extract from to create actual melodic ideas. And I find that if that that just very simple, you know, frame of mind there, that just it's like a pivot, just a little pivot away from like a linear scale, like thinking about, you know, play the major scale, play the Dorian scale. It's a little pivot of the mind to you know, just thinking of them that way, I think is really the first step to correcting this idea of how to properly use scales when we talk about jazz improvisation. So step number two, they use scales as plug and play tools. Instead, think of them as pitch collections and little ideas, little note choices to build melodies from. All right, big mistake number three, they learn jazz standards and solos primarily by reading. They learn jazz standards and solos primarily by reading. Now, this is another one where I want to qualify a bit that there's nothing wrong with reading jazz standards or reading solos, and there's nothing wrong with weaning yourself off of doing that either. And there's also a lot of benefit to reading and and learning jazz uh, standards and solos by reading notation. So I don't want to vilify them too much. However, when they're used as primary resources for learning jazz, I think that this is only going to slow you down in the long run. Now, I hear from this in many of my inner circle members or members of my courses, where a lot of the stuff that I have them do is learning stuff by ear, whether it be licks, whether it be an etude, whether it be jazz solos, whether it be parts of a jazz standard. And what I hear time and time and time and time and time again is, wow, I wish I would have done this sooner. I wish I would have done this sooner. How far would I be if I would have started earlier? Now, the reason that we want to use ear, and this is my suggestion, so instead use your ear to learn these things, is because your ear is your greatest asset as a jazz improviser. When we're improvising, we're not reading We're trying to create spontaneously, and it's our ear, our muscle memory, and other things that are dictating that. So if we have a strong ear, then we are going to really have a better chance at playing great melodic lines. Now, of course, of course, too, the more we exercise that ear, the more retention we're going to have of the musical language that we are are digesting, right? So when we're reading stuff off of a page, what we're really doing is we're decoding a language, right? We're basically, it's, it's sort of like the mathematical, you know, I, the mathematical side of everything. It's like, you know, two plus two equals four sort of a thing. And that's okay. That's good. And reading is part of learning a language, no doubt. But 
it's not really the primary way we want to learn how to improvise. So instead of learning jazz standards and solos primarily by reading, start incorporating a little bit of learning by ear. Maybe you're just going to learn, you know, the first chorus of a 12-bar blues, just the first chorus of a 12-bar blues. That can be a really, really, really big accomplishment for you. And by the way, if you want any help with that, I actually did a great episode uh, back in uh, episode 216. By the end of this episode, you'll have learned a jazz blues solo. So that might be a good introduction for you. So feel free after you're done listening to this episode to take a little travel back to episode 216 and I can help you maybe get started by just kind of holding your feet to the fire with learning something by ear. Not that you have to do it all the time. Not that you have to go cold turkey on reading by any means or any stretch or that you should ever go go cold turkey on it. But, you know, just to understand that it is a mistake to primarily learn by reading. All right. Big mistake number four. They try to copy and paste licks into their solos. Okay. Big mistake number four. They try to copy and paste licks into their solos. Now, I get this a lot from people. I get this a lot. People will ask me, you know, whether it's in a course or my inner circle or, you know, just someone, you know, emailing me from my blog. They'll say, hey, Brent, you know, I've learned this lick by ear. And I'm like, oh, good. You know, you know, hand clap, right? You learn something by ear. That's really good. And I even took it through all 12 keys. Oh, hand clap. That's really good because, you know, that's going to help by taking things to all 12 keys, max flexibility on your instrument. My problem is when I'm actually playing, when I'm trying to improvise, I can't really fit the lick in. Like I'm trying to like, you know, plan on getting it in the right place, but it doesn't happen organically because, you know, I'm improvising, but then I'm thinking about trying to fit that lick into that one chord or that one chord progression and I'll either miss it or I won't get it right or, you know, something will happen that it just doesn't really work. Okay, now this is what we call copy and pasting licks into their solos. So the two great things they did was they learned, you know, a piece of jazz language by ear, maybe a Sonny Rollins lick, um, Sonny Stitt, uh, Winston Kelly, Wes Montgomery, it doesn't matter, someone that you really like. And, you know, that's a good thing to do. And maybe, like I said, in this example, they took it through all 12 keys, you know, great, great idea, really good things to do. But the problem with copy and pasting licks is exactly the problem they're having is they're not able to organically get them into the solos. It sounds forced. Um, They're trying to take someone else's idea and fit it into a very specific context that they're in when that idea that they played was in a very specific context that they were playing in. So how do we do this? Like, what do we do instead? So instead, what I want you to do is I want you to learn a lick and do your due diligence because those are really good things to do. I call that learning micro jazz language. And then what you should do is experiment and compose as many different ideas of your own that use concepts from that lick that you learned so that essentially you're morphing that lick into your own different ideas, seeing as many different ways that you can make it your own and as many different ideas that would be a variation off that, maybe different rhythms, maybe slightly different melodic lines, like maybe it works up the arpeggio of the minor two chord. Well, still keep that idea, but what are some other ways you can resolve to the one chord? Or maybe over the five chord, there was some altered notes, the flat nine to the sharp nine, or maybe a certain pattern in there that you liked. Keep that part, but then see how you can maybe resolve to a different ending note or something else. So get creative. And this is where the practice room is. I like to think of it as the laboratory, right? In the laboratory, 
you know, there is no right or wrong answer. It's like you, you take things and you, you break them apart, you split them up, you slow them down, you, you know, try this. And if it doesn't work, you try this. And that's a beautiful thing. And we want the practice room to feel like that for us. And so this is your opportunity to do that. Now, why would you do this? Is it so that you can copy and paste some of your very own ideas that you just came up with into your solos? Well, possibly that could work, but more so that you're starting to organically take information that you're learning and get it under your fingers and create different scenarios in which that could work. Now, you're much more likely to play something that you composed in your solos organically than what someone else played. Okay, I'll say that one more time just for a little dramatic emphasis. You're more likely to play something that you composed yourself, created from you, than what someone else did in your solos. And if we're working it a bunch of different ways, you're more likely to find different solutions in the moment that you come across an idea that you want to express than if you're just trying to take one isolated idea and patch it into a, you know, a musical framework. So um, that is uh, mistake number four. They try to copy and paste licks into their solos. Instead, you know, take that, so that lick and make it your own and morph it different ways. And eventually, hopefully, some of those ideas were, will actually come out organically in your playing. Okay, big mistake number five. They consume too much content. <laughs> big mistake number five. They consume too much content content. Now, this is kind of a funny one for me to say, to be honest with you. It, it's a funny one for me to say, because essentially, uh, you know, no secrets here. What I do is I create lots of free content, right? I my, This podcast you're listening to right now, this is, you know, we're we have over 200 episodes of this podcast. So, so many, so many ideas out there. Uh, I have like over a thousand blog posts on my blog. I have, you know, tons of videos on my YouTube channel. I create lots of free, valuable content for people like you who just want to learn how to play jazz. Now, that's all good stuff. And the internet age where, you know, there's so much information out there, you Google something, you get an answer, has its big pros, like really big pros, of course. But also the cons of it are that you have too much information, right? <laughs> and lots of studies have been done of when you have too many choices, or when there's too much presented in front of you, you actually end up being more paralyzed than taking action, okay? Now, this doesn't mean that just because you consume a lot of content doesn't mean you're not taking action. So perhaps you did watch a YouTube video from someone, from a from a, you know, a jazz YouTuber or something like that, or maybe you listened to an episode of this podcast. And after you listened to it, you really took action and you really made a plan, which I'll get to in a second. And you got some real valuable results out of that. Well, that's a good way to use content. But I find that often a lot of beginners are going to learn something and they just they just look to as many different ideas as possible. And to give you a little example of real world, like how that looks in my life is recently my wife and I got a little, uh, a little puppy named Georgia and we love her and she's wonderful. Of course, little puppies come with a lot of work, right? They come with training. You have to train that dog in order to behave, to be potty trained, to, you know, you come when you say come to sit, to, you know, not whine, you know, all these different things. There's so many things that happen, right? You're trying to build a relationship and communicate with the dog, which is very difficult to do, uh, especially if you're an impatient human. So of course, what do I do? I go straight to YouTube and I start like just looking like, how do I do this? How do I teach her to do this? All these different things that I need answers to because I really want to improve my relationship with my dog, right? So 
that's really good. But what can happen too is I noticed is I started getting competing ideas. So there'd be one trainer who is, you know, like, this is how I do it. And this is everything. And this is my method. And then I go to another trainer that was like, well, this is what I do. And this is how I do it. And this is my method. And suddenly I'm starting to get different ways to do a bunch of different things. And not that the diversity of ideas was bad because I actually learned a little bit from that, that, okay, well, there's this idea, this idea. I wonder if I could combine these two ideas or, you know, take that one idea and use this other idea. And that's totally okay. That's totally cool. But the problem can be when you don't really just subscribe to something, right? When you don't just go, hey, I'm, I'm not going to just do anything and everything. I'm going to actually follow something. I'm going to like really try to, to really take this information and, and do it in, in, in a way and consume it in a way that will actually give me progress. Not just me sitting around watching YouTube videos and jumping from one thing to the next. Because ultimately, that's the most damaging thing that I find over consumption of content for jazz musicians really is is you might learn a lick from this guy one day then you'll go and you'll learn this random music theory concept that doesn't really have to do with the other thing then you'll go and you know you'll look at this analysis of this particular standard and then you go so in other words you're just not really getting anything done you're just checking out a bunch of stuff because you're into it which isn't wrong in and of itself but if you're trying to improve this can slow you down okay so that's number five Consuming too much content, sometimes less is more, and sometimes too much information is not the best way to go, all right? Now, this leads me to the final biggest mistake that I find. They're kind of related to each other. So biggest mistake, number six, is they don't have a practice plan. They don't have a practice plan. Because like I said, if you're consuming all of this random content, right, stuff that doesn't necessarily have a method to it, that doesn't have an order to it, that doesn't have, you know, any essence behind it of trying to build forward progress, then it can be difficult to improve or it can be easy to get distracted. So what I always suggest, and this is one of the biggest things I preach on Learn Jazz Standards in general, is to have a really clear goal-oriented practice plan, like an actual path forward. And so to do this, you can do this yourself, right? Obviously, you can do this yourself, but it does take a little bit of, you know, a little bit of knowledge, right? A little bit of knowledge to put all this together. So you really have to be good at identifying what your actual problems are, right? Like what what do you need to do? And sometimes this is where, yes, consuming content, getting help from people like me, getting help from other teachers online to really understand what is an actual path, what is an actual direction, that can be invaluable. So while you definitely can do all this by yourself, I do also recommend that you consider investing a little bit in your jazz education. Like that could be really helpful. Um, for example, you know, when I was trying to, you know, get all this information about how do I train my dog, you know, I started checking out all these YouTube videos. Well, eventually I found one person who has a book and I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to jump into buying their course yet, but this book, maybe I could buy this book and see how it is. And then I start going through the book and there's a lot more method to it. There's a lot more function to it. And now it's so much more helpful than me watching random videos. And if anything, it's the random videos are just a nice supplement to working through an actual something. So sometimes investing, even if it's just a small amount of money into your jazz education can be invaluable. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not just asking you right now to invest in me. Maybe it's another another jazz teacher out there. Maybe it's an actual private lesson teacher. Maybe it's, you know, someone who does have a course. I mean, maybe you do want to invest and check out my inner circle membership or one of my courses. You know, one of the one of those kinds of solutions can be really helpful for you. Either way, Whatever you decide to do, 
definitely keep in mind that you need to have a plan. You need to have a real plan that helps you get results, that has actual structure to it, that has method to it. Because if you're just doing random stuff, you're probably not going to get the results you want. And I just have seen so many students over the years, you know, come and say, hey, I have this problem, Brent. I have this problem. I can't do this. I've been working really hard on this. I feel like I'm getting nowhere. And then when you start doing a little bit more digging, you start to realize, well, they just don't really have any organization. They don't really have a plan. They're just wanting to get better, but they're not really working on anything that builds off of each other and has real purpose, real function, real direction. Okay. So that is big mistake. Number six, they don't have a practice plan. Instead, create a practice plan, consider investing in your jazz education and get on an actual path forward. Okay, let's review these six biggest mistakes, and that'll give you a little call to action at the end here. So mistake one, number one is they don't listen to enough jazz. Instead, of course, start listening to as much jazz as possible. Big mistake number two, they use scales as plug and play tools. Instead, think of them as pitch collections and start creating melodies from them. Big mistake number three is they learn standards and solos primarily by reading. Instead, start incorporating some learning by ear involved with those things to start building your ear and helping you learn the language faster. Big mistake number four is they try to copy and paste licks into their solos. Instead, take a lick that you've learned and start composing your own ideas based around of that lick. Big mistake number five is they consume too much content. There's too much content overload jumping to random stuff. Instead, focus yourself on one thing to really get a lot out of. Big mistake number six is they don't really have a practice plan. Instead, get yourself a practice plan and get focused. All right, now here's my call to action for you. Whether you are a very beginner jazz improviser, whether you're an intermediate player, you, you know, you, you're active, you've been at it for a while, you know how to do some stuff, or even if you're an advanced player and any one of these big mistakes resonated you, I don't necessarily want you to jump on all of them at once. That's a little bit overwhelming. It's too much to do. Pick just one, pick just one of those things that you're like, eh, that's me, I need to correct that, and go out and take action and correct that one mistake, or start correcting it, right? Start going in the right direction, and I think that you probably start seeing better results if you correct even just one of these things that you are guilty of. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you for being with me. And I hope you learned something. But of course, not only do I hope you learned something, I hope you take action on something today. Action is what produces results every single time. Like I said uh, at the beginning of the show, that might actually help you out with with some of the stuff I talked about today. Uh, If you feel like a, a membership that gave you access to a bunch of practice programs and courses, actual direction, monthly jazz standard studies uh, with the materials that you need to help you learn that jazz standard and study it uh, with a community of other like-minded musicians, live Q&A calls, and Basics 101 courses. A a great membership that really can help you uh, have some real direction. Do check out my LJS Inner Circle membership. Go to ljsinnercircle.com and see if it is the right fit for you. We'd love to have you as a member. Okay, that is all for today's episode. I hope you're having a great summer. Hope you're enjoying yourself uh, no matter what the situation is and that you're making the best of it. I'll be seeing you in next week's episode. I know you're going to love it. So cheers and happy practicing until then. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. 
subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.